Okay, uh, we're going to go back to Ephesians, maybe even start at the first verse later and go into some in the second chapter. But before we do, uh, Chris, get uh, 1 Peter 4.11 up there. 1 Peter 4.11. This is going to be something really special for you. Uh, It was for me. This is going to be about the best day of your life if you get all that we got for you today. But uh, this started with a conversation that I was having with an old mentor of mine from um, Amarillo, Texas. I I call him and we talk and talk and talk and talk. And uh, he is a Greek expert. And he shares some things with me that just blows me away. And he talks about, he talks over my head sometimes. And he talks about how there's two kinds of Greek interpretations of Scripture. And there would be the Strong's interpretation, and Strong's is a, is a concordance. And then there would be one that, would, the Strong's is more in alignment with our English. And where there's one that's not in alignment as with our English as well. So it has some additional meanings that would uh, be tremendous blessing to us. And so uh, there was this one particular word which uh, I called him about, uh, I think it was yesterday, because I wanted to know more about this particular word in the Greek. And it was in a couple of verses, but it's in this particular verse here. In First uh, Peter chapter four, verse 11, it's especially important because um, we went to how many of you went to the production that the Christian school had on Friday night? Oh, a lot of people here. Wasn't that wonderful? That was just absolutely wonderful, and the whole thing was about light and darkness and um, I guess, uh, Isabel, you were darkness, right? And my granddaughter was light. No inferences there, believe me. No, you you could have been switched the other way just as easily. But it was from the scriptures in John, the first chapter, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And there wasn't anything made that was made that uh, was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in darkness, and the darkness in King James says comprehended it not. Literally means the darkness could not extinguish it, is what it literally means. And so the, the whole program was about light and darkness. Jesus coming into the world the light of the world, and it was just a beautiful production, and I thoroughly enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I was just moved by it. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) So there's a word in this particular scripture, and a lot of times we just miss out on some things. I want to encourage you to really study. Study the word of God. Uh, The Bible tells us to do that. Give attention to the Word of God. But I want to show you how just one word can make a difference. And it 
might be a word that isn't normally something that you would even, you know, you just kind of go over because it seems to, to be so obvious what it means. But it means so much more. And it's in this, uh, it says, uh, if any man speak, let him speak as, uh, as the oracles of God. And uh, I could go through each and every part of this sentence, but I, w- I just want to go on and get into this word. If any man minister, that means serve, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. Uh, and we're, we're going to go leave this up there after we get through reading this. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever Amen. The word that I want to look at in this, in this Greek word uh, is where it says, if any man minister, starting at the second line, let him do it as of the ability which God gives. That word gives. It's not uh, the same word uh, from the Greek that a lot of other uh, Words that are give are uh, in the Bible, but it's uh, it's this Greek word, and I got this queued up on my little computer app. That uh, it's the Greek word, "kora kori geo." It's not that hard to pronounce. I don't know why I struggle with it. "Kori geo," "kori geo." Uh, it is more accurately translated we would think supply. It says, where it says that God supplies. And what's just so special about this word is we get an English word from it. And do you know what it is? Choreograph. Choreograph. Because the word actually means, and I got my little, this is my Strong's uh, interpretation here. And this is what it says, uh, to be a chorus leader, like a choir, you know, uh, to lead a chorus, to furnish the chorus. And then it says at one's own expense. So this is God giving, and he is our choreographer. He choreographs our life, and it's at his own expense. And then it goes on, it says, to procure and supply all things necessary to fit out a chorus, to supply, furnish abundantly. And if you go even further into the Greek, you can find that it says actually, Lord of the dance. So he choreographs our life and calls it a dance. And this is how he supplies all of that we need to minister to others. He says of the ability. This is the ability that God gives you to serve him. And it's at his expense, though. You know, serving him may be at our expense, but the ability to serve him would be at his. It kind of reminds me of the scripture in Philippians. that says, God is both to will and our lives both to will and do of his good pleasure. Right? Now we're going to go back to Ephesians, the first chapter. And I, uh, I will go back to the very first verse there, Chris. 
And this is going to be very, very special, I believe, for you. I I said that I've had a blessing, and I have had a blessing, tremendous blessing, uh, this past weekend. Because uh, somebody did something that I actually like. So I don't feel in any way that I am sliding this. This is somebody that was watching us on Facebook live. And you can get uh, the, sh- the uh, show, the show. You can get the program on Facebook live. Uh, the day, the week I was sick. I, you can watch it later too. You don't have to watch it live. And all you have to do is like it on, like Community Gospel Facebook on live or Anchor on live. You can watch Anchor live or later on Facebook. So if you want to do that. And somebody was watching us live. And uh, you would probably know this person. I'm not going to tell you who it was. Uh, But he challenged me on something that I said last week. And I love it when somebody challenges me. Because number one, it tells them they're actually listening to me. And they're thinking about it. And it was done in a very sweet and you know, uh, non-threatening, you know, it wasn't attacking me. It was just saying, I don't quite agree with you. And uh, I produced an answer for them and then started to say, well, I want to be a little more solid in my own, you know, persuasion. So what I did was, is I uh, started going over the scripture. Sorry, I'm getting some glasses because I got some notes. Say, uh-oh. Because I don't usually use notes. But I got some. And uh, I, got to, I went and put some notes together and studied uh, the answer to his question. And it was the, or his challenge. And the question was, I had said that when God raised Jesus from the dead, it pushed him to the limit of his power. Is there somebody, and you don't even have to raise your hand on this, but just I'm asking you a question. Is there, not, is there not somebody in this church that could say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That sounds to the limit of his power. That sounds a little questionable. Uh, limited. Yeah, limited. It sounds like we're, I'm limiting God. And so let me explain what I meant by that. And uh, first of all, I want to tell you, show you some things in the scripture or reveal them to you. In the third chapter is another prayer that, that it says. And in the prayer of the third chapter, it says... Uh, you know, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory for us to be strengthened with might by his spirit in our inner man, that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that we may be rooted and grounded in love, that we may be able to comprehend what is the breadth, the length, the depth and the height height of the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. 
Now, when you say the breadth, length, and depth, and height, those are measurements. Sounds like there's a limit to that, right? And yet, we know from other scriptures that the love of God is without limit. Why does it say a limit or suggest or imply a limit when there is no limit? His ways are past finding out. The depths of his love are unlimited. And so I have an answer for that, okay? Uh, I think that God wants us to be able to see just how far he went. And one way of expressing this is by saying that he pushed it to the limit. Okay, and then I'll go further to explain this because this, I think it's going to be beautiful for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We've already, we've already prayed that your hand would be upon from the beginning to the end when Anita prayed of the service. And I pray and continue to believe as we prayed for the children that you would open the eyes of our understanding and that we would uh, be able to see how great and wonderful and mighty and awesome you are in Jesus' name. That reminds me, that prayer reminds me that I am not, by limiting this, by saying it's to the God of God's limit, I'm, my desire and what I believe that I or hope to show is that it shows just how great God is. Not how less great he is, but how more great he is. All right? That's my desire. And so uh, we're just going to look at this. Paul, an apostle of, Je- of uh, Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be pe- to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he hath chosen us in him. Now, you know, Kenneth Hagin once wrote this, or put out this little book they call In Him. I used to give them out, but I only got one left and nobody's getting that one. But if you could get one from Rama Bible College, if you could order one, uh, order a bunch of them, okay? And then we'll give them out. But uh, it has about 144 verses in the Bible that says who we are in Christ. And this is where we draw our identity as a Christian, as a believer. Who are we? It's like, uh, like that song Lauren sang. Um, Lauren, somebody help me. Yeah, that's the one. What did you say? Daigle. Daigle. Daigle, Lauren Daigle. You say, is that what it is? He says, or you say? You say this about me, and you say this about... Well, we're going to look at a lot of what he says about us right here. He says we're chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined or predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted. 
that Greek word accepted, karatu, which means highly favored. We are highly favored in the beloved that's in Christ. So we find that we're chosen, we're adopted, we're predestined, we're, we're uh, uh, accepted. Yes, in whom we have redemption, we have been redeemed. Uh, by the way, this is one of the longest, uh, literally, literally, this is an ongoing sentence, on-running sentence, the longest on-running sentence maybe in history of mankind, literally. This is an on-running sentence. And I'm not, you know, it, it just keeps going and going and going in the Greek. Through uh, the for- redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him in whom we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ in whom also we have a uh, excuse me, in whom also you trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. That means like down payment. The Holy Spirit is the down payment. Boy, it's got to be some inheritance for that to be the down payment, huh? until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. And uh, you can go hold it up for 15, verse 15 for a little while. You can keep it up there. Just, I just want to go over, we're blessed, we're chosen, we're predestined, we're accepted, we're redeemed. We're gathered together and we have an inheritance and we're sealed and we have the earnest of the inheritance. Okay, so now we're going to go to this prayer. Wherefore I also, I after I, we just prayed it a while ago, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, I cease not. Say cease not. You want, to have, you want to see your life change in an incredible, magnificent, unbelievable or believable way is to pray this in agreement with every day of your life. You pray this prayer and things are going to, I'm believing that you're going to get a, a revelation from God that's just going to blow your socks off, if you wore socks. Cease not to make mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So they're praying for, uh, according to the calling of God in your life for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding may be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the uh, riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So that's all praying basically that God begins to show you just exactly all the great things that uh, open your eyes, open your spirit, open your heart, open your ears and begin to pour the knowledge of the calling of God in your life. 
And then he goes on to say this, which is just absolutely amazing. We're going to stay on this verse for a little while because it's just beautiful. And it's these words here. And words are meant for, there's their meaning. There's a, there, there's, God meant something when he used these words. He's trying to communicate something to us that is absolutely amazing. And then this is this. What is the exceeding? First word. Um, it, it's, a, it's amazing that this word is used. What is exceeding? It's the word uh, in the Greek, which we have an English word for, which is just a transliteration, which is almost a, exactly. And it's, uh, it's hyperbole. Anybody want to take a hazard at guessing what English word we have for that? Hyperbole. Hyperbole. The only thing is when we use hyperbole, we are exaggerating usually a lot, you know, because of what the word actually means in the, in the English and the Greek. All right. The Greek word exceeding or hyperbole, the Greek word hyperbole means uh, wild pitch. Now, when we use hyperbole, we, I'll give you just an illustration. If you were to say like, boy, that scared me to death. Well, you didn't really get that scared to where you were that close to dying. All right? You didn't mean that it actually scared you to death. It's hyperbole. You know, it's, you know, stretching it. It's, it's a wild pitch. It's uh, over and abundant. Okay. And so that's, that's what this word means. Also in the Greek, the only thing is when we use hyperbole, we're exaggerating. When God uses hyperbole, it is not exaggerating. Hello? It's, it's, it's over in abundance. It's way, it's beyond the pale. Both, both of, it means that in both situations. Only difference is when we, when we use it beyond the pale, it means way beyond the truth. Hello? Because it's exaggeration. But when God uses it, it isn't way beyond the truth. It is right on. Okay? And then it says the exceeding greatness. I'm going to just go, go quickly down to these Greek words on, on here. Greatness. It's megathos. You get that? You know what mega means? Big. Mega. Big. The greatness of his power. Dynamus. We get the word dynamic from it. We also get the word dynamite from it. From the Greek word dynamus. Sometimes it's dunamis. Translate dunamis, depending on whether it's a noun or a verb or just exactly how to use. So we get the word. It says, the exceeding overthrow, way beyond the pale, greatness of his dynamite to us who believe, toward us who believe. According, and this is the word, kata. You know the Greek words that we use for kata, like catastrophe. It means like way big, way big. You see how he's, is this a little redundant for you? Is this, 
saying this, there's a reason for it. There's a reason that it's going to be redundant. And it says, according to the working, energio. We get the English word, energy from it. According to, and, and uh, energio is according uh, to the working of God's energy. So here again, he's being more redundant. According to the working of his mighty power. Strong ability, mighty, and then power again. Only this time it's uh, uh, another Greek word, kratos. And we have other words that come from the word kratos. And it means, and I'll just say them one more time. Uh, It's exceeding greatness, power, according, working, mighty, power. Boy, it's, it's, it's trying to drive a point across. Now we next verse. Which he wrought. Now wrought is another one. It's the same word, energio. Which he energized in this particular case. Which he energized or gave it power in Christ Jesus. Now the reason I wrote all, all those verses about who we are in Christ is because what? those things have been given to us in Christ were energized or made powerful or granted to us. And remember what we were talking about a while ago? How God supplies. How God supplies the ability for us to serve Him. It comes from Him. And it's not just to serve Him, but it's to love Him and to be part of His family and His plan and His calling. And so it says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. <clears throat> now we're going to go uh, through some things here, but I want you to know this is a run-on sentence. And then we're going to get to a part where it goes on to explaining what, what he did when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And we're going to look at that. But he says this, when he raised Jesus Christ, set him at his own right hand, far above all principality. We're talking about all powers everywhere, all the powers of the devil, all the powers of all of heaven, all the angels. He's he's, he's raised from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of God. And he says, far above all principalities and power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in which that is to come. So you see, there's this still working that what he did when he raised Jesus from the dead, far above all principality, and power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named. And then he says, and he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. All right. If which let's let's read the note, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now let's go back to 22. He hath put all things under his feet. 23 says, which is his body, the church. If we are his body then we have on our body what we have. Feet. 
And so all things have been put under our feet. All right? And it says, He hath put all things under feet and gave us to be the head over all things, gave him to be the him to be the head over all things to the church. Jesus is our head, we are his body, we are his bride. All right. And then in next uh, next verse. Which is his body, the fullness of him. And here's something that's amazing. I think I made mention of this last week, but I just want to go over it again. When the first Adam was created, God created Adam, he was alone. And it says, and God said, it's not good that he should be alone. But he had Eve inside of him. And so God pulled out of him Eve and created him out of the rib. And so Eve and Adam all of a sudden become one together, a reflection of God. Separately, they're only half a reflection. You understand? A half of the, of the image of God. It says, which is his body, the fullness of him. Now, when Eve was created, or when Adam, before Eve was created, Adam was the fullness of God, created in the likeness and image of him. But when God put him to sleep, opened up his side and pulled out his bride, uh, Eve, together they become one. But separately, they're only half of what God created. Now, this is the most extraordinary, one of the most extraordinary things, the extraordinary things you can imagine right here is when God put his, the second, Jesus in the New Testament is called the second Adam, he's also called the last Adam. He's the second Adam. When God put the second Adam to sleep, he opened up his side, blood and water came pouring out and he created his bride. Now, why is that important? Because see, now... Jesus is only half. That's why it says, which is his body, the church, the fullness of him, the completeness of him. You got it? You get that? God did that for us. Is that pretty amazing or what? God did that for us. And so it says this, and and now we're going to go on to the first verse of the second chapter, and you know when Greek was written, there was no chapters and verses in the Greek. And so it's more of this same sentence, and it says this. I'm going to cut through some of these verses and then just go to this. It says, when God raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly, which, what, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Right, And then all these other things that it said. And then it says, and you. And I'm just going to say, this is what it actually says. uh, God, I pray that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding may be enlightened that you may know the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and you. Now we know that this is and you, because if we read the rest, the rest of chapter 2, we find out in you at the quick and who were dead in trespasses and sins, that you were raised when Jesus was raised from the dead, we are raised together with him. Well, let's just look at it just to prove it, okay? 
You know, I feel sometimes, I used to, I, I, have you ever watched a Cajun chef on, on television? They're just, I love to watch these, the Cajuns chef. And uh, they have an interesting language all to themselves, and I, I, I really think. But this was one Cajun that would be cooking, and he would talking about, he would say, all right, now, in this recipe, you need a teaspoon of, a teaspoon of salt. And he puts it, puts it into his hand, and he starts to dump it into the, the recipe. And he says, oh, you don't think that's a teaspoon, huh? So he gets a teaspoon, measuring teaspoon out. And he pours it in, pours it in, pours it in. And it's right, a level teaspoon. And then he dumps it in. And then he does it again. He says, and another teaspoon of salt or something. And he says, he says, oh, he says I'm going to prove it to you that that's a teaspoon before. I'm going to prove it to you. And then he gets another teaspoon. And he says, and he says, I'm not going to show you this one because I don't have to prove it to myself. And he dumps it in, you know. Well, I'm proving this to you. I don't have to prove it to myself, but I want to prove it to you. All right. You have to quicken who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had a conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, and even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us, it means given us life, together with Christ, by grace you are saved. And, see, I, I read that really fast for a reason. And hath raised us up together. Do you see that? So when it says, which he wrought in Christ, when he, what? Raised him from the dead, and you, he's talking about, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised Christ from the dead, and you. And we know that, we're going, it says, hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay, so, what are we saying here? We're saying here, that all those things that it said, exceeding greatness of his power, according to working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, when he says, and you, when he raised you with him. And the key to that, that what God is trying to show to us is that raising his son from the dead was not particularly such a big deal. All that stuff about the exceeding greatness of his power and all this stuff about, you know, the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ. All that stuff was not such a big deal. The big deal was, is and you. That's the part that's tough. That's the part that's incredible. And you. And me. See, because when he raised Christ from the dead, he raised me from the Why was that? You see, see because after Adam's sin... You know where my citizenship belonged? Hell. And so when 
And here's another thing. I, I've been, I was challenged on this one one time because I said that I believe, and I still do, that when Jesus was crucified and died, he went to hell. And if you don't believe me, we, we, I, I'd love to have a conversation with you. I got a very nasty... I find out when people contact you directly, they can be very nice. But when they send you a letter, it can be really nasty, you know? I mean, just really, really not so nice. And that's why I don't particularly like letters, unless they're nice letters, you know? But when, when somebody sends me a letter to correct me, it uh, generally, it's one-sided. It doesn't give you the opportunity to express your point of view. You know, that's not a conversation. That's, that's something else. But I got a, a nasty letter from saying that. And the reason for this is because they could not wrap their minds around, and there are a lot of people that struggle with this as well. The, one, the person that sent me this letter is not alone. But they can't wrap their minds around that God, that God the Son, would go to hell. But he did. All right, he did. Why? Because we know from 2 Corinthians 5.21, God the Father made his Son sin. That's what he says. He hath made him sin with our sin. So he was made sin. Where does sin go? To hell. So Jesus went to hell. If you read Isaiah 53, we had a beautiful point from Isaiah 53 uh, last week. He was wounded for our transgression, was bruised for our iniquity, chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. Actually, in Isaiah 53 it says, are healed. When, when uh, Peter quotes it in, in uh, Peter 2.24, he says, we're healed. Okay, because he's going back to the cross, one's going toward the cross, all right? So he says that by his stripes we are healed. Big, you know, precious shared a good, good word on that when uh, we prayed for the sick, all right? 39 stripes, by his stripes we're I heard a teaching one time, uh, some of you medical people can tell me that, but all... Uh, diseases were classified into 39 classifications. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I'm not a doctor. I don't know. So if you can tell me afterwards, you can correct me on that one. But that somebody else said that. I'm just reporting it, repeating it. Okay, that was a beautiful, beautiful thing. But it also says right after, right uh, uh, ninth verse or somewhere in there, it says, he made his grave talking about the Messiah. He made his grave with the wicked and the rich in his deaths. There's a twofold, there's a double meaning. Uh, why the wicked and the rich? The rich because Joseph of Arimatheus gave his tomb up for Jesus. But it says he made his grave with the wicked in his deaths. And it says that if you look in your Bible, and it's a reference Bible of any kind, and most of them are, they'll have a little number by them that will give you some kind of uh, information. And if you look in, if you have anything, a Thompson chain, or if you have a Schofield Bible or anything else, you'll have a little number by it, or a little letter by it, and you go on the sign, and it says that word is plural, 
because it made his grave with the wicked in his deaths, plural. Now, one, one reason that we have trouble wrapping our mind around, we're, we're so prone to think that death means non-existent. You don't exist anymore. You're dead. That's what death means. True death means separated from God. See, when Jesus was made sin, who knew no sin, and the wrath of God was poured out, and that's what it says, the wrath of God was satisfied, the wrath of God was poured out on him. He was made sin. The Father turns, that, turns his back on him. Uh, Psalm 22, where Jesus says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's because God had forsaken him. When Jesus sweat great drops of blood, he wasn't sweating great, great drops of blood because he was concerned about the cross. He was concerned about what was going to happen because cursed is he who is put on a cross and he was cursed. He was cursed with our sin. And when he was cursed with our sin, God the Father turned his back on him. And here's what's going to be absolutely amazing if you can handle this. If you can't, that's all right. I don't put my eternal life on doctrine like this. My eternal life is on one thing. My hope is built on nothing left than Jesus Christ in righteousness. The Jesus blood in righteousness. That's all. I'm, I dare not trust the, sweetest, <laughs> trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That I put my eternal life on that. All other doctrine I hold. I can hold very tightly, but very loosely at the same time. So I can, I can work with that. But Jesus was made sin. Sin goes to hell. Where else do you think he spoiled principalities and powers like it says in Colossians? And he made a show of them triumphing over in this. Where else does it say when like it says in Psalm 78, which is talking about when the Ark of the Covenant was tugged. And it says he smote them in their hinder parts, kicked their tail in. That's what that actually means. And it says so in the Bible, so don't, you don't jump on me for saying it. Psalm 78, read it. He, he smoked them in their hinder part. Does that sound better than kicked his butt? Where else did he think he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave away from him? He went to hell, and there was a great battle going on there. But what the problem was, see, he was made sin. Second Corinthians. It's all about being reconciled to God in Second Corinthians uh, uh, five, verse twenty-one. He was made sin. It says he, the Father, made him the Son sin, who knew no sin. You see, see the thing is that's why it would be a piece of cake for God to get His Son out of there. Piece of cake. And again, uh, you know, I'm just saying, you know what? But, but what he didn't get, a, he didn't come by himself. He brought me with him. Amen. And so when it says the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according works of mighty power, which you wrought in Christ when you raised him from the dead and me and you. You see how crazy beautiful that is? You know, now here's, here's, here's a, I put, I'm going to put a limitation on it only because I believe that God went as far. First of all, he went further. It took more power, took more energy, took more effort, took more might, took more ability 
than anything he had ever done before. Speaking the galaxies into existence. That had to take a little bit of power. Piece of cake compared to raising me from the dead. Hello? Are you with me on this? You see, and God wants us to see it that way. Now, maybe it didn't go all the way to the limit of his power, but I want to tell you just how far it goes. Now, first of all, I want you to get you to understand my perspective on this is that in heaven, there was a third of the angels that rose up with Lucifer against God. Now, when Lucifer rose up against God, and you can read all about this in Isaiah 14, if you want to, and other places in the Bible. When Lucifer rose up against God in heaven, then you understand, you got to understand something that he, Lucifer, thought he could overthrow God. You don't think he thought he was going to fight a losing battle, so he just wanted to get kicked out. No, no, no. He believed that he could overthrow God. He considered himself, he didn't even see himself as higher than God, just equal with God. Same thing he told Adam. God knows that when you eat that fruit, you'll be equal with him. All right? Where Jesus didn't grasp to be equal with God. So anyway, when a third of the angels, Lucifer took a third of the angels with him. Oh, I, I don't want to get sidetracked. I forgot something, but I don't want to get sidetracked. angels were thinking that they could overthrow God. They got kicked out. I don't know how long it took. Quite a battle. I mean, if it took 21 days to get to Daniel with a vision, and because uh, there was a war going on, battle going on in the heavenlies to stop him from getting the revelation, uh, there's measurements that are being made. Do you understand that? Measurements, a third of the angels. There's a third of the angels, measurements. So if this is happening, I don't think I'm too far-fetched to think that when God was going to execute the plan to save me, and that he was going to give his son to die for me, and that he was going to raise his son and me from the dead, And just as it described in Ephesians 1, I believe, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. But I believe all of the angels in heaven are having a little trouble with it. They're scared. Can God do this? The Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son is going to be made sin. God knows no sin. That has never happened before in the universe. God, the Son, is being made sin. God, the Son, is being separated from God, the Father. Never happened before. Nothing so powerful, nothing so incredible has ever happened before. Nothing. When he spoke the universe into existence, when he split the Red Sea, 
big deal. You're following me? You understand? Now do you understand when I say push the God to a limit? It's a limit that he had never gone to before and will never go through again just to get me out of hell. Wow. Is that awesome or what? God, I I, I was bringing reference to this because uh, when I first started on this journey, and this is one of the first sermons I ever preached, by the way. When I started on this journey, it's when some, a close friend of ours said that they just didn't believe in the benevolence of God anymore, the goodness of God. So I started thinking about that, and I'm thinking, wow. It brought me to Hebrews, the sixth chapter, where it says, because God could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. He says there were two immutable things, too, that because of these two immutable things, which means unchangeable, one in which it was possible for God to lie, and the second one was that he swore by himself. He swore on himself. In other words, he says, if I fail to do this, I will destroy myself. That's never happened before either. Can you imagine the angels like, uh-oh, did he just overextend himself? Hello? I think they underestimated him. If they indeed did it. And I do believe they did. I believe they were very worried. They were very concerned. Is this going to work? Never done before. We don't know for sure. Wow. Wow. If we could just get this down. You know, Deal Moody once said, in the beginning, God. And he says, if you could just believe that, the rest of the Bible would be a piece of cake. Hello? Well, I'm telling you, if you could just believe this. So in Hebrews 6, it says, God swore by himself, saying, I will destroy myself if I don't keep my promise. So there, he went as far, and it says this, for two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie and that he swore by himself, which is supposed to be an anchor for our soul. Because God's so much more willing that we should believe him, that it wasn't enough that he would just say it's impossible for me to lie. He said, I will swear by myself that if I'm lying, I'm dying. Wow. God doing that. And then he goes back to, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You don't think God is a magnanimous, magnanimous, you don't think he is a benevolent God? What? He gave his son. He promised and he said, I will destroy myself. And then he says, and it took, excuse me, I'm going to say it my way. I don't have to prove it to myself. It took everything he had to get us out of hell. 
Wow! Woo! That's pretty great. Does he have to be greater than that for you? We didn't hear my little fingernail, my little hangnail. I don't know if he's a benevolent God or not. I'll tell you what, worst disease ever known to mankind, and he, he took care of those too, but the worst disease ever known to mankind doesn't compare. Let me ask you something. If you were a quadriplegic, like Johnny Erickson is, would you want to be healed and be able to walk and use your arms and legs and maybe be the greatest athlete that ever lived? Or would you want to go to heaven for eternity? I'll take heaven. Comparing, and please, I am not immune to being touched with someone suffering. We're supposed to weep with them that weep, move with compassion by earthly sufferings. But to compare with what God did for us is like comparing a hangnail. God was so great. We could gain the whole world, but if you lose your own soul? You know, that's not just talking about money. That's not just talking about money. That's talking about everything. Everything you ever possibly in the flesh could ever want, but if you lost your own soul, wouldn't have been worth it. Hello. Man, I do believe, I do believe that it went right up to the brink of God's power. And at, at the very minimum, that he wanted us to see that it took something. It, would, it was a cost. You've been bought with a price. That price is the blood of Jesus Christ. It cost God something. That's why he says the choreograph is at his, at his expense. It was costly. Very, very costly. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. That's why, you know, if you, if you think that limiting God is lessens God, I, I, I yield. I yield to you. If you, if you think by me saying it went to God's limit to save us, that that lessens God, then I don't want to do that. I yield. But it doesn't lessen him to me, to me that shows how great he really is. And it doesn't start, it doesn't, it may be in with the resurrection, but it started with the birth if we could see what God, what he called. I was just thinking all week for the last three, four weeks, how God, from, I was going from Philippians 2, where it says, uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not grasp to be with God, but emptied himself, and he humbled himself, and he became a man, humbled himself to become a servant, even to the death of the cross. And so it says, he humbled himself. 
God of the universe, God Almighty, became a baby. The most defenseless and the most dependent babies are the... And he becomes a baby. That alone is just enough. God Almighty became a baby, became a human being for us. What? You wouldn't do it. I certainly wouldn't do it. Who would? Nobody would. And you know why it all happened? God became a baby for me. God, all the way to the death of the cross. Do you know when that happened? The scriptures tell us when it happened. You think it happened on December 25th? 2,030 years ago, whatever? It didn't. That's not when it happened. Do you know when God became a baby for me? And you know when God was crucified for me? While I was yet in the deepest, darkest pit of sin you could possibly imagine. While we are yet... He didn't die for righteous men. He died for unrighteous men. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. That's when he was born. Christ was born a man. While I was yet a sinner. Hallelujah. Wow. God, you are something else. You are just way beyond hyperbole. Hyperbole. Way beyond the pale. And that's no exaggeration. <laughs>